Welcome back to In Our Own Defense podcast. Uh, today, Dr. Tarver and I have been discussing uh, dangerous, uh, dodging dangerous uh, co-parenting and parenting dynamics. Uh, we have the luxury of having uh, Dr. Leroy uh, Reese and Dr. Christina uh, Grange uh, with us today. Uh, they're extremely talented and we're so happy to have them here to uh, help us unpack this. Dr. Tarver, I remember a point that we, dis we discussed uh, uh, what feels like years ago, months ago, when we first uh, launched this show. Uh, in the early episodes, we started talking about those, how we're all in the house, kind of stuck in the house, and we're trying to navigate these different spaces. We were talking about how the kids have a say in this, and, and the kids have uh, a, a destiny, of, you know, have a right to their part of that conversation about their destiny and their raising, their rearing. Um, and but how do those dynamics play out as it relates to the parents and the child? Or is there any difference between the father and the daughter and the mother and the child? What, what, what's that play there? Now, this is an interesting uh, conversation because I hear a lot of people talk about um, that mothers, and particularly in the South, uh, spoil our boys that we coddle them, that we attend to their needs, that we um, sometimes enable them um, from being as independent as they can be because we feel like the world is so hard on black men. Let me make sure that you have this safe space. Uh, but on the other hand, we are so tough on our daughters because we feel like, well, I know how the world is going to treat you. You're gonna have to deal with sexism. You're gonna have to um, be this double minority where you're a, a woman and you're African-American. And, and so I wanna prepare you for that. And so I, I, I have seen women um, literally curse out their daughters, fight their daughters um, to, to, to train them, if you will, for how, how tough the world is going to be. And then on the other side of that, we have the stereotypes of the father-daughter um, relationship where the daughter is got dad wrapped around her finger and um, daddy's little girl and she can't, yes, that is you attorney, uh, she can't do anything wrong and she can have whatever she wants and the moms complain about like yours is doing so much for this child uh, that I feel like it's interfering with, with our relationship or you're gonna affect her in some negative way when she has to deal with the reality that she's not gonna be able to get everything she wants. Uh, whereas dads, uh, the stereotype is are tougher on their sons. Um, and so like, I need to raise you to be a man. So um, you need to be prepared for that life is gonna be hard on you. And so oftentimes I'll have young men say their dads weren't very loving to them, weren't um, necessarily very emotionally open and connected and vulnerable with them that they're, they're just were in that you need to toughen up kind of space. And so I want to talk to our, our two um, guests about those dynamics, the mother, father, son, daughter, different dynamics that we have at play and how those may play out with our kids in terms of their development, but also what are some things that we want to keep in mind when we're trying to raise healthy, well-adjusted children, um, that we make sure that we prepare them both for that life can be hard, but also give them um, the ability to be able to make good decisions and not feel like, and be able to deal, just cope and deal with life's disappointments as well. So since Dr. East called me out last time, Dr. Grange, uh, I'll start with, with you for this question. Hello. So I think that, um, I've seen that play out. So you're, you're right on, Dr. Tarver. It is um, a situation where 
the dynamics can be different, father, daughter, mother, son. And some of the things that I've come to appreciate is that we think we know what we need to do for our own gender or for our own sex child, right? I know what this is gonna, to your point, I know what this is gonna be like for you. And we do know some things and there's a lot that we don't know because they are different from how we were, how we grew up. I mean, we went through the same thing with our, every generation goes through this, right? And so in terms of raising the next generation, so one of the ways that when I see it, that I try to sympathize and empathize with the parents is to say, it makes sense that you think you know um, how this will go for your same gender child, but let's understand, or same sex child, but let's understand that there are a lot of ways in which they're different from you. So as far as diversity characteristics, yes, you guys are the same gender or you might identify the same thing in terms of biological sex, but they have a whole different culture in some ways than you may have had. They also have different socialization experiences outside of the household than you may have had. So I think there's value in trying to understand that perspective, trying to, what I often say with younger, younger kids, is trying to get into their zone instead of bringing you into bringing them into your zone, right? Trying to go to where they are, and that can be helpful. Um, but it also makes sense that if you are a parent with a child of a different sex than you, there's more fear there because you've never done that before. <laughs> so you've never been raised as a mother. You've never been raised as a as a young man, as a black man in America, right? You've never done that. So you may proceed naturally with a little bit more caution because it's something totally different. And then on top of that, you have the information that the world has given you through anecdotal information as well as stuff that you've seen yourself that there's a lot of danger out there for this um, child who's of the different sex. So this son, if you're a mother or a daughter, if you're a father, there's a lot of danger out there that you don't out there that you don't necessarily know how to protect them from. So I think that when it comes to raising children, especially the, the children that you have who are a different sex than you, that is one of the best ways to amplify the village. Because sometimes your village sees what's happening. They're like, oh, they're doing that thing. You know, he's just being too easy on her. She's just, to use your language, coddling him. And they try to tell you, and it's helpful because you simply may not be able to see it while you are in it. You are simply doing the best you can based on the frame that you have, either what you grew up as, you know, as a daughter, or what you're afraid of if, you know, again, if it's the opposite sex. So I think that it makes sense to recognize that there's a script there that you might be following and, or there's a big fear there about what you've never done and you wanna make sure you're careful with that child to, for example, if it's me, that boy who's different than what I grew up as and being able to talk candidly about that. Like, I'm not quite sure how to have this conversation with you that I've never had as a woman. So I'm gonna bring in some reinforcement. And you can make light of it, it doesn't have to be too serious. I'm gonna bring in an uncle. I'm gonna bring in somebody from the church. I'm gonna maximize those resources because I am going to acknowledge I do not have all the answers and I'm thankful that there are resources that can support me in providing some of this information to you or call me out 
when I am maybe biased in my parenting approach. So those are some of the things to acknowledge the differences, acknowledge your strengths or your limitations and maximize the resources available to you. And again, show them that if you don't have the answer, there are people that you can ask because in the future that might be important for them as they transition to adulthood. Thank you, Dr. Grange. I appreciate that piece about that sometimes we're just afraid of right, what to do with this child who, ex, whose experience is going to look a lot different than mine because maybe I um, don't know how to connect with them in that, that way. I'm a woman, they're a, a male, or they're a, a female, and I'm a male. So I, you know, I don't know exactly how to connect with you. So I'm connecting with you in the way that I think is most helpful. Um, or, or we're the same gender, and I, I think I'm doing the right thing until someone is kind enough to say, hey, you may want to think about some other things. So I think those are some good points. Uh, Dr. Reese? Um, good questions. Um, tough questions. I, mean, I think that this is among the most important work uh, that we're faced with in our community, how we raise healthy uh, sons and healthy daughters um, who have a sense of agency and purpose about them without us getting in the way. I like what uh, Dr. Green said around, instead of bringing them into our world, asking them to invite us into theirs. Um, my, my oldest son is, uh, my only son is 22. Um, it has more to do with me being a better man than anything that I have been through in life. He taught me to think different, to relate different, to show up different. Um, he told me about what vulnerability looked like. Um, and it was different than what I grew up with because I grew up in a particular kind of way on the block with all, all the stuff that that, that, was, that that was about and that was not his experience. And he was saying, hey, I love you, but if you want to have a relationship with me, I need for you to meet me where I'm at, not, not expect or demand that I, whatever. And it wasn't because I couldn't have expectations of him. I expected that he do well, that he be principled, purposed and principled, etc. He didn't have an issue with that. He just asked me to give him the space to, to do him. I think about my daughters and they have uh, similarly challenged me, particularly that youngest one. Yes. Dr. Grange, I may be calling you. Um, but um, so, because we are all biased. We all think that we know what's right. Um, even when we are willing and seek other opinions, we have opinions going in into this thing. I believe every, with everything in me that daughters need their daddies or men who are willing to be surrogates in their life. And I believe with everything in me that sons need uh, their mothers and vice versa. Um, the, I have a practice, I, I, I work largely with adolescent, black adolescent males. And they bring me, because a lot of these young men don't, don't have men or surrogates in, um, in their life and, and they're seeking. But a lot of the work I do is around how I support moms connecting with, relating to, you know, I, I, you know we all have got our story, right? So I, I grew up in a single parent family. And so I, I think about 
my mom and the man that she raised in the form of me. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that anybody had uh, did a better job of kind of balancing those competing interests of having some edge to you, while also having compassion and love for you, um, and, and 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 creating soft but supportive places for you to land. And so, you know, this 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 piece around how we raise our kids is is art and it's science. And it's the balance that allows us to get to the best outcomes. Um, this is this is the place where being serious and mature, but recognizing that it takes time and patience to curate the product that you want, the outcome that you want, and that you often have to have other hands in the pot helping you make that occur is where our kids prosper and benefit the most. So, um, and, 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 and brother, I, 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 I too am, have two of them who have me wrapped around um, their finger and use their, their, their skills for evil and not for good. Um, but it's all a blessing, right? And I, I, I think that the, the thing that as we talk about how we struggle with, this is actually the piece I wanna, the point I wanna make. Giving ourselves to the, the permission to struggle, to not know all the answers, for that to be okay, and for us to be able to acknowledge that to our kids. That's, I got me. <laughs> uh, we, we don't figure this one out together because daddy doesn't know. Um, is because again, they're watching us. We're teaching them about what it looks like to, to say, hmm, here's my best thinking, but I'm not sure I'm right. Let's go figure out if, if, if this is the right way or the best way to kind of go. And so um, that piece around being willing to struggle, I think is, is the most important piece. And the thing that I want our society to say is, because black women catch hell. And it often, too often, starts when they're kids. And, and, and so this, this idea of the compassion, support, the discipline, love, nurturance, and consistency that we have for all of our kids, irrespective of how they show up, male, female, non-binary, et cetera, is really important, right? Because that burden that they take into adulthood, that, that's not okay. Um, and all the, the the stuff, insert your own adjective, that our sons catch, our job is not to protect them, our job is to prepare them. And if we prepare them for that, they will be better positioned to deal with that. Thank you, Dr. Reese. Uh, you know, you two, we have, we have thrown a lot, lot at you. Um, this, this was one of the shows that we were looking the most forward to because we know how important it is to raise well-adjusted human beings um, to help them be able to navigate the space and you two are right like we don't always know the right ways to do that sometimes we get it wrong um, we're we're thinking we're acting in the best interest of our kids but we're also operating off schemas that were created from how we were parented and so sometimes that offers some challenges for us in terms of being able to to help our kids they do challenge us um, they do force us to grow if we'll allow them to um, to be able to be better people to be better parents and i think that's something that is important for our viewers um, to hear uh, i want to 
shift a little bit um, as we move into kind of um, the last uh, official question that we have for you two um, is about what our kids have access to, right? So there's us and then there's everything else out in the environment that our kids have access to. They have access to, um, you know, our, our family members who may raise their children different. They have access to social media. They have access to YouTube. Um, and even as, as little kids, they're, they're on computers, they're on tablets, they're, they're um, able to, to get into things that maybe possibly we weren't, uh, though arguably we may be able to get into other things when we were growing up. But so they just have a wider range of access to things. And so what happens when our kids do get exposed to these um, maybe sexualized images at early ages, um, but, but also our, as Dr. Reese alluded to, our expectations of them as sexual beings, because that's also a conversation that we have with our children, is about them growing in their sexual identity. So, so what are some ways that we can help our kids just develop healthy sexual identities, uh, healthy racial identities, um, great work ethics, just to be the kids we really want them to be despite our efforts? Uh, sometimes that may look a little otherwise. Uh, and Dr. Reese, I will start with you. Thank you, Dr. Tarver. Um, so I want to begin this, 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 my response to this question with that we have to be careful in acknowledging that we introduce sex and sexualized uh, ideology to our kids. The, the child, the 12-year-old, who is 5'6 or 5'7 and is wearing shorts, that, hey, 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 go put some clothes on. Did, did that child, did she put those shorts on because she was, was trying to present in a particular kind of way or did she put those, those shorts on because those are the shorts that she had and she's built the way that she's built and we are taking an adult mindset and applying it to that child because the child is looking at you sometimes like like why are you tripping and 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 so part of this conversation is we should be intentional about how and when we begin the dialogue with our kids about the issue of sex, about the issue of racial identity, et cetera, understanding that there were gonna be some other exposures that we can't control. And that was, that was true when I was a kid, that was true when all of us were kids, um, but, but we can always be clear about what it is we want them to be thinking about and what it is that we, we want them to know. And one of the challenges in, the, in this, 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 this era of social media Remember when you said, hey, I want to go spend the night over so-and-so's? And, and your parents said, well, I don't know they people. And you can't go nowhere until I know they people. Or you wanted to go to the game or to the movie with your homeboy. And I was like, well, I need to meet them first. Our problem now is there are these devices where the friends are showing up in these devices juxtaposed to coming to your house or uh, you, their parents coming over to meet you and these other kind of things. And, and, I, and I think that one, so we not only have to be purposed and intentional about what we teach when we teach our kids, 
but we also have to pay attention because that was the way, hey, I got to meet their parents. That's how we surveilled. That's how we kind of kept an eye on what was going on with our kids. But a lot of times these kids are in their rooms with their devices or walking to school with their devices or they're on their friend's device looking at all manner of thing. And this is where dialogue becomes important. Hey, you need to explain this to me. Can you, I don't understand. And, and so when we think about Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all these other kind of things, normalizing the conversation, some of which are going to be uncomfortable, both for the child as well as for us to see kind of why they think that was cool. So when we see these traumatic events, some fight, some shooting that gets routed, when we see what we may agree is some provocative uh, uh, video and it's getting, you know, uh, routed, hey, tell me understand kind of what that, help me understand what that's about. I don't, and not fill in the blank for our kid, but let, allow our child to fill in the blank for us. Because too often they're looking at stuff and they can't tell you what they're responding to. All they know is somebody forwarded to them or it got, it got liked by a thousand people. And so they liking it and they looking at it too. And so this is where we continue to have to show up in our, our, our kids' lives as stewards of their development, right? We have to marshal them through this kind of stuff as well as educators. As, and, and, and learners, because I've learned some stuff, you know, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Um, but okay, let's, let's figure this thing out. And, 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 and so the sexualized piece, I, 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 I think there's, there's some of that that clearly is happening. Um, but I also think there's a lot of it that isn't because they don't understand it in that way, particularly our younger kids. Uh, and, and, and for some of our, our, our teens who are thinking about that kind of stuff, they don't understand kind of what it is that they're looking at. So for example, uh, not that this was ever uh, an issue for me, but you know, when I was a kid, uh, pornography was a, a still photo, right? Pornography these days are, uh, is a motion picture on your device. Damn, have no idea what they're looking at. Have no, no idea for to, to how they understand that and how they make meaningful inferences around that or how that helps inform how they relate to themselves and to somebody they might be interested in. We got to have those conversations, which means sometimes we got to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable because we got to look at some stuff. You're just nasty, but okay, we're going we're gonna to look at this thing. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there because there's just so much to this that has so much to do with the social and emotional development of our kids, but it really comes back to, I think, our, our one, our monitoring, our, 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 our being active stewards, even if it gets on their nerves, and us then talking about what it is that they're looking at. Yeah, those are some great points about that. We just assume kids are looking at things in the same way that we're looking at them that you putting on them short shorts, you know, those shorts are inappropriate. Do I? Or like you said, are these just shorts I happen to have and my legs are six miles long, um, right? So in, in helping them unpack, and that is, that means we have to be comfortable ourselves with being able to discuss some of these dynamics. And like you said, not make that negative comment, like what is, what is this you're looking at? But let me help, let me understand um, what it is that you're seeing through your eyes, uh, Dr. Grant. I'm glad you guys brought up that point about being comfortable um, because I think that's the biggest limitation in that open dialogue that Dr. Reese was talking about and not acknowledging that you're uncomfortable 
So I think being able to acknowledge that is important. And I think it's part of the difference in parenting from possibly our generation, our parents' generation, to our generation. We are clearly going to be parenting, especially around this, these issues of um, sexualization, differently than possibly the previous uh, many people, not everyone, but many people in the previous generation did. So acknowledging that discomfort and processing it out. So I know a lot of families, for example, who may see things in the on shows now or in the media that involve same-sex contact or same-sex intimacy. And so I'm finding that I'm supporting parents in processing through some of that so that they can help their child process through that because their children have already been exposed to some of that content at school. And so recognizing what types of topics make you particularly uncomfortable is important. So if it's a dad with those short shorts, it's really hard to realize that what you're saying is potentially part of the problem, right? But that's where, to take it back to the point about co-parenting, healthy co-parenting comes in. So if I see that the, the father has said something about short shorts, that's an opportunity to provide support and say, you know, she's six. I think she was just wearing what she had. So maybe we should get her some more stuff or what is your opinion about that? Do you think she should have some longer things? So that we go back to that conversation being about us than about kind of pathologizing the choice the child made based on what was in the child's closet. I think that um, there's also the opportunity for us to recognize early that we don't have to be asexual. I think that the, an older style form of parenting has been to act like romance doesn't exist, to say, oh, you don't need to be thinking about that boy, right? That stuff's all over TV. So it, it's on Nickelodeon. It's on Disney Plus. It's everywhere. Romance is in cartoons starting maybe from what kids are watching at age four, if not sooner, right? So they're going to say, oh, there's a kiss, right? Mwah, I just kissed you, see? To make it fun and something that we don't have to be threatened by, to kind of normalize it, I think that's important. Um, I think Dr. Reese brought up so many points about what we will not have control of, right? But we want to leave the door open. Acknowledge your own stuff. Acknowledge your own anxiety. Say, like, oh, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't, and again, make light of it, right? I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready. But I'm here with you now, so let's go through this. And I think that helps them laugh at us, um, if we can laugh at ourselves and help them acknowledge that they also might not have felt comfortable when their friends showed it to them. But they had to act kind of cool about it, right? They had to be easy, act like they've seen this before. When really they're like, whoa, that's a lot of stimulation, whether you are a girl seeing it or whether you're a boy seeing it. Because as we know, um, there can be unhealthy sexualization on both sides. So I think that conversations around sexual experiences, be it the direct experiences, be it through the um, links that get generated, or just intimacy in general, can be a part of our normal conversation um, because it's part of their world. I wanna talk a little bit about the word intimacy. I think with my young people, I'm realizing the value of introducing that word to them early because there's a lot of ways to be close to people and we want intimate relationships. That is a normal function of, of growing up. 
we have an intimate relationship. If you're my child, this is intimacy. We have a relationship right now, right? You snuggled up with me, that's intimacy. So there's a lot of ways to have intimacy with people that involves physical sex, as well as other forms of connection in terms of gifts that we may give them and things like that, because I think that we want to remind them that there are many ways to be connected to people. And again, the media can help us with that. We just kind of have to pull those examples out. They might not be as obvious as the sexualized examples, but we can kind of pull those examples out um, and join with them, just be there with them through the awkwardness because it's awkward um, at different stages of their development. That's the last point I want to make. The way they experience things at age six and talk about it, for example, if you do the birds and the bees at age nine, 10, we need to assume we're going to have that conversation again because their ability to digest that at age nine and 10 is going to be different than age 13. And then at age 14, their friends are talking about it. So we need to revisit it again, birds and the bees being super simplified, but like anything that's sexualized so that we keep the conversation going. I think this is the final point. And if you are a single parent, if you're parenting outside of a traditional marital context, there's gonna be a lot more opportunity if you're dating to have those conversations. And it may be helpful to talk to whoever's in your village again to bring that back up about what that looks like because that is gonna be an important tool um, for teaching them about how this thing can go when you're trying to create intimacy and have a, a close relationship with someone, again, sexually or otherwise. Thank you, Dr. Grange. Um, there was a lot of points. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, both of you, and I know that there is, we probably could have done a show just on this. And I know, Dr. Reese, there's probably a lot more that you wanted to say. We, we talked in the pre-production call about toxic masculinity and some other dynamics um, that I'm sure you could have gotten into. Uh, this is a this is a conversation that I think needs to be an ongoing conversation, and I'll go back to what you both have said about like we need to have this dialogue. We need to be having this dialogue with our kids. This needs to be coming from us. We need to be helping them navigate through these things, and then we also have to kind of have awareness about where we are with these topics, so that we don't end up putting things onto our kids um, that causes them to be sexualized in ways that that um, are inappropriate for them. Um, so I, I know that we are uh, attorney winners um, about at that time. I'm sure um, you have some final thoughts and also we'll get into, I'm sure that our guests have some resources to help people navigate this um, a little bit better. So attorney winners. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tarver. And, and, and I appreciate it. You, you guys, you doctors doing your thing uh, there at the end. I, I was very, uh, one of the things I always tell Dr. Tarver about in our own defense podcast is more cathartic and, and therapeutic for me uh, to learn from some of these great concepts uh, and then apply them to my own life. So I know that our listeners are doing the same thing. Uh, we've gone through some, uh, some great strategies that we recommended for uh, avoiding uh, and dodging these dangerous uh, parenting and co-parenting dynamics. But you guys have given us some fantastic tools of what we should have in our toolkit uh, to when we're confronted by some of these uh, uh, 
these gaps or opportunities for better parenting or growing in your parenting space. But one thing that I'm left with that I, I will never, ever forget that both of you guys, uh, I think you brought it in, Dr. Grange, and you, you reverberated and echoed it, uh, Dr. Reese, is Dr. Grange, you said, we need to get into their space. We need to get them to invite us into their space so we can communicate with them on that level. And I think that, that, that space right now where you talk about that village, if we can get the kids to let us in that space, it would make the child, I think, grow stronger in their truths and then they can help us be better parents and better co-parents if they can live and walk in that truth. I can walk in some short pants because I'm just putting on some short pants. Guy can wear everything she wants to. And, 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 and somebody's just doing these natural things, but they can speak to your truth. My three-year-old, well, now four-year-old can tell me, no, 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 Papa. Here's what I think. And, and I want her to always be in that space where she could say that to anybody on God's green earth. No, 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 no. Here's my thoughts on that. Uh, and, and I know people may see it as spoiled, but my ideology of well-adjustment means that a kid has a say. A kid has a say in their, in their destiny, and we are there to guide them. So you guys laid out some amazing points. Uh, I feel like I've grown from it, and I know that our listeners have. Uh, so uh, what we'll ask you guys to do, if you don't mind, um, uh, Dr. Grange, I'd love for you to uh, tell us how listeners can reach out to you or how uh, we can uh, um, learn from some of the, the, the great teachings that you may have done at, at Clayton State or uh, any writings that you may have that are posted there in that uh, National Institute of Diversity um, and, and other resources that you suggest to our listeners. Thank you. Um, so I can be found on Facebook through the Center for Family Research. Excuse me, that's where I used to work. Excuse me. Um, I can be found on Facebook through the Fern Center for Life, my company, as well as on Instagram um, at the Fern Center for Life. And the website is theferncenter.com. Um, I've actually done some work published in the Journal of Family Issues about communication about sexual issues um, to promote healthy sexual behavior, as well as um, some colleagues, some other psychologists and other psychologists here in Atlanta, as well as one in Chicago. We joined together to start a blog through Psychology Today called For the Souls of Black Folks to be a play on Dr. Du Bois's work. Um, so we're sharing information there that we think is, is helpful. There's also a book that's very easy to read, very digestible, called The Co-Parenting Handbook. It's not too much, very easy to read. I think that it provides very helpful tips for parents who are entering into this co-parenting space, or they've been here for a while, but they're trying to learn and grow, which I know we all are. I also know that whether you're a man or a woman, the um, site Therapy for Black Girls, even though it suggests that it's specific to women, has a huge array of topics that can benefit families. So I wanna encourage people to visit that um, website as well. And generally engage in, I love podcasts. So that's a website as well as a podcast. And so I think that as individuals, parents should find podcasts, and I say that because they're easy to listen to while you're doing other things, that feed their souls, that pour into who they are as individuals, because they are individuals before their parents or co-parents, and maximize those resources, but that might be more of an individual choice. So those are some resources to start that maybe can be helpful. 
And I appreciate that. Um, and, and thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Reese, if you could give us some, you know, I know as the director of behavioral health at Acoma uh, Counseling uh, there in Atlanta and senior advisor to I-Corps uh, uh, Strategies, I know you have a wide array of, of, of resources. Can you um, elaborate on those as well for us, please? Thank you. Um, I, I want to reiterate a, a couple of the resources that Dr. Grange has talked about. The co-parenting handbook is excellent. It is, in fact, an easy read. Uh, the uh, Center for Collaborative Law, it's a website. Uh, there, is, there is a move afoot for families that are thinking about or contemplating divorce and how to manage it. And it, it deals with everything from the legal aspects to the economic or child support uh, elements to the, the psychological and well-being of, of, of kids, et cetera. It just, it does everything it can to kind of work with you to kind of help you think through those kinds of issues. And for, there are attorneys who pr practice collaborative law, um, who are certified to practice collaborative law, and, and their job is to, hey, we're going to work out as much of this as we can. There are accountants who are, uh, who do collaborative uh, uh, accounting in, in this space as a way to kind of reduce um, the, the amount of time and, and the expense that a family may spend um, in, in court. Um, I, I think that um, as I, I, so part of the challenge here is I'm thinking of user-friendly resources. So as an academic, I, I don't want to send folks over to, to, to journals, et cetera. And, and I think that Dr. Grange did a, a much better job of kind of laying these out. Um, there are a number of podcasts that talk about healthy, positive social uh, development. Um, there's a project, um, it's actually a play. I'm not sure if it's a play on, on my practice's name or I played on, on their name, um, but there's a sister out of DC, uh, Dr. Alfie Breland, who's got the Acoma Project, and there are a number of very powerful uh, podcasts there that deal with um, African-American families and children. Um, and then I think that the, the last thing I want to do is that there are a couple of websites, one in particular, Kids Health, where there are health, helpful resources about the management of social media, giving parents strategies for how to both monitor and to have some of these conversations. Um, I'd actually like to think about that, that question some more and, and, and so that I could provide those uh, resources that you've made then later put on your, on your uh, social media. Um, if folks wanted to contact me, there are a couple of different ways to do that. Uh, one is through Oklahoma Counseling and Consulting, which is in Atlanta, and our number there is 404-378-7309. Um, I don't do much in the social media space. Uh, I, I guess I'm in the fight with respect uh, to that, trying to get my game together. Um, but um, uh, but there are, are a number of other resources I can point your listeners to. Um, I, and actually, not me pointing them. I'll, I'll share them with you, and then you can make them available to your, to your, to your, to your audience. Definitely. Uh, thank you guys both so much. Uh, Dr. Tarver, before I close our show, uh, would you like to put a nice, beautiful bow on this for us today? I just want to thank you both for agreeing to come on the show uh, and share so much vast knowledge and wisdom, your collective years of experience in working with children and adolescents and also helping parents um, and adults navigate through just, just 
being able to help our children become the best that they can be uh, while we're also trying to learn to be the best that we can be. Uh, we have probably had so many requests to address this particular topic. Um, and we saved you all for last because we knew it would be very powerful and you all delivered beautifully. There was a lot of, I think, excellent points about how we can more effectively communicate, how we can continue to just reevaluate our strategies and our plan, know that we don't have to know everything and that there are resources out there that we can utilize and a wide range of them. So just thank you to, for the work that you're doing and continue to do for, for Black families in particular um, and, and to help them see people that look like them doing this great work. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you guys. And uh, to our listeners, uh, this has been another episode of In Our Own Defense podcast where we've been discussing dodging dangerous parenting dynamics with Dr. Christina Grange and Dr. Leroy Reese. Uh, Dr. Tarver and I uh, uh, have been privileged to be your host. And uh, for more information about our podcast, please follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, In Our Own Defense uh, or you can email us at inourowndefense at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.